Yeah, I mean, I would definitely start a pod at some point. I just, I'm not sure right now with everything going on with the newsletter, with school, you know, it's heating up right now. We're in like week nine or something of the quarter system for everyone who doesn't know, like we have 10 weeks in like a semester, I guess. And so once you get towards the end of that, it's like everything is hitting you like a truck at full speed. So, you know, it's something to think about at, at a certain point for me, because I really get the appeal. Yeah, I mean, it is so much fun to do this and to talk to people every week, but it is like an extra, I would say three hours of my time, at least through conversation. And then another probably three, like actually editing it and then like writing up like an intro and stuff like that. Um, and so it is a lot to juggle with the quarter system, like you said. Um and my newsletter is not as intense as yours. So like my newsletter usually only takes like an hour a week to write um, right. just about like a topic that I'm interested in, whereas yours is like much more nuanced. Um, so like how how many hours a week are you devoting to that right now? You know, last week I tried to track how many hours I was spending on the newsletter because I was interested in myself because I'm like, how can I cut down or be more efficient? And by like Wednesday, I couldn't remember to fill it out. I was like getting confused on whether or not like how much time I was spending because I'll go in and out of newsletter mindset, like constantly throughout the day, just like just checking Twitter DMs count, just responding to emails count. I'd say mm -hmm. at a high level, I'm probably spending three hours per newsletter. So I'm writing twice a week. So that's six hours there. I would say close to double that probably on every, sorry, like that amount on everything else as well. So probably like four to six hours on everything else. So getting sponsorships, um, like reaching out to people in the industry who I want to talk to, getting on calls with people who I think I can learn from, um, like strategizing over what the growth, the growth plan is going to be for the next few weeks. And just talking to people, I'd say is probably another four to six hours, but that's where the lines get blurry between like, is this networking or is this like part of the newsletter plan? So I'd say right now I'm at like probably eight to 10 hours a week on the newsletter. So it's definitely my biggest priority right now. Uh, I honestly feel like I spend more time on it compared to schoolwork, which not yeah. sure if that's great. I hope my parents aren't listening, but dude, I was, gonna, I was gonna say the same thing. Uh, literally as you were talking I was thinking that I was like okay to just like compare the amount of time I'm spending on Twitter podcast newsletter and then like all that goes into that because it's not just writing the newsletter it's like the networking aspect and then for the podcast like for me a big big aspect of it is the networking and like being in the dms and talking to people and that's kind of going on like all day and so like like you said like I hope my parents like aren't listening to this but um <laughs> I would say like on an average day, I'm probably spending seven, seven or eight hours doing all this other stuff, all this wow. Twitter, like online stuff. And then I'm probably doing like an hour or two on school. So like, it is interesting, but 
it doesn't even seem like work to me, which is so interesting. Like when I have to write a paper for school, it seems like such a hassle. But when I have to write a newsletter for the week or like I'm putting out a thread or I'm like ghostwriting a thread, like it's actually genuinely fun. So even though it is like in hindsight, it's like eight hours a day. Sounds like a lot. Like talking to cool people on the Internet to me, it does not seem like work. And so like that's what's so appealing to me about it. Yeah, yeah. And you're exploring like you're exploring your interests in those eight hours. It's not like necessarily work like you were saying, but I totally agree. It's it's a weird thing to like enter this online game and then have this real world game also going on at the same time. Uh, I feel like both of us right now are in too deep. Like there's no you can't turn back right now. You know, no. we're already on the path towards like playing this online game so we can't really go back what we can do now is just try to balance these two worlds um and like make the most of our time right now and yeah i'd say like <laughs> to parents who want their kids to be like <laughs> devoted academics like don't let them get a twitter account no That's turn off thing. the episode right now like get, yeah do not listen to anything we're gonna say because we're gonna influence yeah, people yeah. in a bad way you need, a, you need a, like a, a content warning for parents and kids. Be like, if you want this, this has a risk of your kid dropping out before they, they graduate college. So turn this off if Facts. you're like driving right now or something. No, you're exactly right. It's like, it's like the matrix, bro. Like once you take this red pill and enter this online game, like you're not going to want to go back. And I didn't realize how true that was until I started doing it. And then meeting all these other people online who are doing it. Um, but I'm going to play devil's advocate with you for a second here. Like, why try to balance it? Why not just go all in on this stuff? Why stay in school? Well, I don't have enough income coming in, first of all, to drop out completely. That's number one. Number two, I fucking love school. I love being on campus. I love walking around campus. Do I love attending classes? That's where it gets like more blurry. But I love being here. I love being with my friends. And like, I feel as though I would be more isolated if I really went all in on this kind of online world thing. It can be, there are downsides, I think, to the online game. And and the, the main ones are that you're isolated from like in-person connections and experiences to a certain extent. And I think that can be very draining and very isolating at points. And so I really enjoy the balance between the two and but I don't look down on on people who who choose either route I mean everyone's different everyone's trying to achieve something different and everyone's like brain wirings are different so um I, I don't think there's like a, a a definitive correct path for every single person you know yeah I totally agree and I was totally playing devil's advocate there because I've actually talked to a lot of people on Twitter and stuff where like bro like you need to drop out like you're just wasting your time but you know I think there are a lot of benefits to like still being in school now a lot of this stuff I'm learning in school like especially being psychology major as you are too um, I feel like it's very applicable to like the online stuff and just networking in general just understanding human behavior I mean that is going to pay dividends in the future um, as well as the connections like if you were just doing the online stuff, like you're not going to be making these in-person connections, like you said. Um, and I've already noticed that like, it can seem a bit lonely at times. Like when you're just like doing this stuff, it feels like you're in this bubble, 
But then you, when you enter the real world, like nobody out there is really doing the same things you are. And that's why it was so interesting when we met originally, like to hear somebody else who was actually in a Twitter space. Cause I thought like, am I insane? Like, I, I don't know anybody doing this. Um, but yeah, there's definitely pros and cons to it. Um, how would you say like on a daily basis, like, are you balancing school and school and your other stuff, like the newsletter and Twitter and stuff? Like, do you have a set set schedule that you stick by or is it kind of just like changing on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it changes, it changes week to week, depending on what I have going on. So this week is kind of lighter, lighter in terms of schoolwork. Um, you know, not much going on for our research site class, obviously, as you know. <laughs> Uh, and so I kind of just, I do all the schoolwork, like I'll, I'll sit down and do all the schoolwork I can. And that's due like in the next few days. And then that frees up time for everything that's more creative, more aligns with my interests and with the newsletter, um, you know, more opportunities to connect with people professionally or online. And so that's where I can kind of experiment and go down rabbit holes and really enjoy myself. And so I try to get the schoolwork out of the way first so that it's not in the back of my head. And then it makes me feel better, honestly, knowing that I've gotten the schoolwork down because then I know I'm not sacrificing my academic performance uh, for like something else that's, I guess, maybe more risky, more unknown. Um, and kind of going back to your earlier question about like why stay in school when there are so many other opportunities out there? Like, are you missing out? Another thing is that I like to just hedge my bets. I like to have backups. Um, um, I have confidence in myself that I can play this online game and do well. But at the same time, there's a lot of unknowns. You know, most people who I've grown up around are in more traditional fields. And so there is this part of me that's like, this actually might not work out, this side of my interests. What if Twitter goes berserk? What if crypto like completely disappears? I don't really know what's going to happen over the next few years. And I I think that it could be important to have a backup, to have a degree, to kind of have other connections outside of the like the online entrepreneurship world, because that's ever changing. And there are really no guarantees with uh, with that side of things. I think that's a great perspective. And that's another huge reason that, like I've really decided to that I want to stay in school because. I mean, we've only been in this online game for like a year or two. I mean, I've only been in it for like literally two months. And so everything is still so new and fresh to me. And it's like, this is the way, like, this is so amazing, but it's easy to get too high on this stuff. And then eventually, like, you never know in two years, like, will Twitter even be a thing? I guess we, we really can't say that for sure, but in two years, you can have that Northwestern degree. And that's why I think like having both is such a smart thing. Like you said, hedging your bets. Um, I'm actually really interested in you, your philosophy about putting school first. Like I've been doing the exact opposite. So usually like my mornings from like around 5.30 or 6 to like 11 when my first class is, I will only focus on online stuff. And then from there, it's kind of like whatever comes up, whatever comes up. But I actually think I might, try to adopt your philosophy with it like just get all the school stuff out of the way and then you don't even really have to think about it anymore you have that clarity of mind um so that's interesting i might try to do that like start of the week just like block off some time get all the school stuff done and then 
really go go down those rabbit holes like you said that stuff is fun yeah 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 it's and again it depends on the week really sometimes if i really get into crunch time for the newsletter like i'll do the newsletter and then i'll do school schoolwork after because like if i were to say really my number one priority is like not missing a newsletter piece like that's number one i don't want to ever have a week where I don't write the newsletter. I can't publish something. So for instance, tonight, I basically haven't even started the writing the newsletter for tomorrow morning. And so that's what I'm going to be focusing on tonight. Uh, and then I'll do schoolwork after or I'll leave it for, for tomorrow or later this week. I got you. And do you already have a topic like ready to write about? Or are you like just going to go into it fresh and figure it out? I usually decide on a topic in the morning. So this morning I looked at the news for like 15, 20 minutes to get a sense for what the main stories were. I mean, you've been following the news. There's one main story and that's FTX. So I'll probably end up writing about that again. There are probably two things that I'm deciding between now. One is looking into the relationship between all the influencers who promoted FTX and like, are there repercussions for them? what did they do something wrong when they were promoting FTX and not like representing FTX fully to customers? How would they know what FTX's balance sheet looked like? Uh, so I'm interested in that side because you have like Steph Curry's, you have Larry David's, the Tom Brady is what's their role here? Like, do they get dragged into this? I think that could be really interesting. And then the other thing that I was going to look at is, um, was he? Oh, I have been following like the coverage of FTX pretty closely and people have been very annoyed with how the mainstream media is covering uh, like all the shit that went down. So the New York Times published a piece a few days ago about FTX unraveling and it was kind of like a puff piece, honestly. They really didn't criticize him very harshly. They were talking about how like he... Yeah, he he dug himself this hole, but like they weren't painting it as if the situation was as severe as it is. Like he, it, it seems like he stole over $10 billion of, of consumer deposits in FTX and was using it for his own purposes. Um, it looks really bad. Who knows what the details will end up being in a few, a few months and a few years, but it seems like they weren't going hard at him at all. So I would like to kind of explore what specifically they said, why they said it. There's like a lot of a lot of stuff being written right now about S SBF's relationship with like nonprofits and democratic politicians. He donated a lot of money to the Democrats. Um, I usually like to stay away from politics, but I think it's an interesting story just to see like, where are the incentives here? Why is mainstream media kind of misreporting what's going on and kind of uh, go into that? Because it's it's interesting. And I just, I like to write about whatever kind of piques my interest at the time. Yeah, I think both would be interesting to read. I think, like, <laughs> just to give you a one of your readers' opinions, um, I would love to hear, like, the Steph Curry, like, Larry David angle. Um, but both would be sweet. I think maybe I'm just biased towards that one because like I haven't been keeping up with it as closely as you. So I don't really know the ins and outs, but like when you say big name celebrities like that being involved, like it piques my interest. So 
that would be very interesting. Um, do you think like, do you think they could get wrapped up in some of this, like some of the scandal and do you think they can get in trouble or is it more so like they were just kind of advertising for this guy or for FTX? Honestly, I probably don't know enough to even say. Yeah. I did see a headline that a few of them are being sued by Ooh. crypto investors. So it looks like they're already being dragged into it. I'm not sure how liable they are for, um, I guess, encouraging people to invest in FTX. It kind of depends. I think there are probably a lot of nuances that I don't really understand well enough to say for sure. Like, what what is their responsibility when promoting an investment exchange? You know, how legitimate does that exchange have to be? And like, what sorts of disclaimers do they have to make to their own audiences? So I think time will tell. And there's probably people who understand that better than I do. But I I agree. I love to write about when mainstream people get pulled into crypto and are involved, because I know that's what the audience likes to hear about. And the, the whole idea is to bring crypto to the masses. And so I'll probably end up going with that, with that topic tomorrow, honestly. I got you. And I feel like you could write some good jokes based off of that. Like that's the, that's the one thing I really love about your newsletter is you make it humorous. So like it actually keeps me reading because if I was just reading about crypto, like in the news or something, well, I don't. And like, there's a reason I don't, because like, for me, it doesn't pique my interest that much. I'm like kind of interested in crypto. I think it's a really cool technology, but I wouldn't spend the time to actually research it. But when you can frame it in a way that is like humorous and it's like easily understandable by like anybody, I think that's awesome. Um, and kind of like going off that, I was wondering, can you give me a high level overview of like this FTX scandal for anybody out there that has no idea what we're talking about? Yeah, well, first, I just I appreciate those words about kind of how I write the newsletter, because that really is the goal. And I I'll answer that other question uh, after just this this part quickly. But I grew up hating reading, hating writing. Those were like the two worst things. I never wanted to hear those words in class. I just wanted to do math problems. And it's really ironic, honestly, that I'm a writer now because I hated writing. I always dreaded it. And so I want to make the reading experience more interesting and more fun for people because, you know, just going off of my experience, I don't want other people to not enjoy reading and not learning about things and not consuming knowledge because they don't enjoy reading. And so that's why I want to create a more fun, a more entertaining experience to consume written content. Uh, to answer your second question, about the FTX scandal, the drama that's going on. So I've kind of explained this multiple times over the last few weeks and kind of deciding like what the best way to go about that is. I think I think I'll I'll kind of go with how I framed it in the newsletter. So Sam Bankman-Fried who was seen and portrayed by the media as kind of the crypto darling he was a 29-year-old billionaire, effective altruist, kind of MIT grad, um, this very like quirky tech entrepreneur. People loved him. Turns out he was not the darling that people thought he was. And it looks like it's a very similar situation to 
what happened with Elizabeth Holmes, just in terms of the way she was portrayed with the media, the connection she had with venture capitalists and kind of how things ultimately ended up falling apart. So what happened, what happened to FTX, I think, in simple terms, is that people give money to FTX because they want to invest in crypto. It was also a derivatives exchange. So people were borrowing money to invest in certain markets on FTX. They wanted to leverage up their money so they could you know, invest $1,000, but actually have $10,000 working in their interests. Everything was going smoothly. FTX was making a lot of money, or at least they said they were. At the same time, Sam Bankman-Fried had a sister hedge fund that was in operation. He started this hedge fund before he started FTX. And that's kind of what his claim to fame was. He was, I think he was, he was buying crypto in certain markets to sell it in other markets where there was kind of a mismatch in price. And so he made a lot of money through that. It turns out he was sending money that people would give him to invest in crypto on FTX to the sister hedge fund to make risky trades of his own. That is like pretty damn illegal in my book. Uh, and it seems like he's going to get into a lot of trouble with that. Another thing that was happening at the time was the hedge fund was heavily invested in FTX's token, which was FTT. So there were so many conflicts of interest. Like he was taking money from FTX, sending it to the sister hedge fund. Then he was propping up FTT's token with money that people were giving him to invest in FTX. And so it's just like a huge circular economy of money going in and out, very risky trades. Uh, there was a lot more shit that went down that I don't fully understand yet, but that I'm trying to better understand so I can explain it to people. But I think those are the two things that at a high level are where he messed up. And there's a lot of other crazy details that are coming out about how he was operating the exchange, like what relationships he had with people who were operating FDX and who were operating the sister hedge fund. Like one, the woman who was running uh, Alameda, I think, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but that was the hedge fund was his like on and off girlfriend, I think. And so that was really weird. And it seemed like they were all like living in an apartment in the Bahamas. 10 of them were just living there and kind of running both operations from there. Really weird stuff. It's a crazy story. And yeah, I'm just trying to figure out, figure it all out as it's unraveling. Yeah, it is fascinating stuff. And like, how did he get caught? Like, what did he do where it was like the tipping point? So the sequence of events was CZ from Binance, the largest crypto exchange in the world. They owned a lot of the FTT tokens, which was FTX's own crypto token. It's a little confusing what that token was all about. Like, was it linked to FTX? Was it just like a token you can invest in so that you were kind of investing in FTX, the platform? Who really knows at this point? But CZ was figuring out that there were a lot of holes in FTX's operations. Now, when he sold the FTT tokens, when Binance sold those tokens, 
the price of those tokens started to collapse. Now, the hedge fund was heavily invested in those tokens because they were kind of propping each other up at the same time. So the hedge fund starts to go under and that's when things completely explode because the hedge fund was providing liquidity for FTX. It was also using money that people invested in FTX to make trades in things like the FTT token. So they were losing money that, that customers were giving to FTX thinking that their money would be safe on the platform, which it turned out not to be at all. So then SBF realizes, oh shit, people are gonna want their money back. We don't have their money. And then it turns into a classic bank run. Everyone comes asking for their money. They're like, shit, we don't have any of this. It's gone. It's in the hedge fund. It disappeared. Whatever the excuse is, I don't really know. They're like, it could be a variety of things, but that's when things completely imploded. That's when CZ was like, we're going to buy FTX. Oh, wait, we're not going to buy FTX because of all this damage that happened internally. Uh, and then, then that's when people knew that things were, were starting to fall apart. And it's all unraveling now before our eyes. It's kind of fun to watch in real time. I was like stalking uh, CZ and uh, what's the guy's name? Sam's Twitter. And uh, like it, he's just putting out like all these excuses and stuff. And it does not seem like it's being very well received um, clearly because he's lost so many people, so much money. I just wonder if like, as he was so caught up in this, like if he ever thought like, oh, this has a really good chance of like totally busting. Or if he just thought like he could get away with this forever. I mean, do you have any perspective on that? Has he said anything? It's interesting. I think it's it's something for psychologists to really look into, to mm. look at what, what was going through his mind. I saw that Michael Lewis, who is a, a pretty famous like finance author and, and business author, actually traveled with SPF and lived with him for a while and is publishing a book soon on SBF and everything going on there. So I think that could be a really interesting look into what was going on in his head. My guess is that he dug himself a hole and kept digging and justified it by the fact that FTX was doing so well, it was raising so much money, it had so much interest in the public eye, and... I would guess that he thought he could kind of justify any amount of risk because things were working out and he became so successful at a young age. And once he kept, once he expanded the boundaries of what was allowed or what would be considered appropriate, he just kept reaching beyond that point. And I think it'll be interesting to see exactly what happened when more information is released. But I think it could be a similar story to what happened with Theranos, obviously. I don't really know. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to look at it from a psychological angle and like try to get inside his head. Like what could he possibly have been thinking? Um, and that's why I think the psychology degree and the psychology major is so useful and just learning human psychology. And like, so I kind of want to bounce into that category a bit more. Um, what made you choose psychology in the first place? Because it seems like you're so... I mean, you said it, you're growing up, you're like, you're very math oriented. You're obviously really into the crypto and finance space. So like, why would somebody like you study psychology? 
That's a really interesting question. Something I'm still figuring out myself. <laughs> I really don't know how to answer that question. I would say that there are kind of two sides to me when it comes to my interests. One is the startup world, the tech world, the online game world, making money, um, kind of hustling, whatever it is. The other side is psychology, learning about people, learning about emotions, learning about how the brain works, and just trying to figure out like what's the best way to operate in society? What's the best way to design a life, to optimize a life? Um, to connect with peers and to connect with my family. I am always kind of questioning what the best way to go about things are. And I think a lot of that leads back to how we were raised, what we were taught growing up and what our intentions are in the moment. And all of that has to do with psychology. It has to do with biases that we have. It has to do with like cognitive shortcuts that we make to try to figure out what the best decisions are. And so I've become really interested in learning about how the mind works because I am obsessed with how the world works and how people should live their lives. I think a lot of it leads back to how we're raised, what our parents taught us and stuff like that. I'm also really interested in therapy. Um, I have attended therapy before to kind of work through some more personal issues that I've had uh that's a podcast for a later day perhaps we'll, we'll stick to crypto and psych for now but i think therapy is an amazing thing um and honestly i'd consider becoming one at some point if uh i get bored of startups so that's where my interest kind of lies for for psych but i'm really trying to figure that out myself yeah we're actually in a very like similar headspace with that i would say I've actually thought about going the therapist route myself after a couple of reasons. So one, I started going to a therapist myself uh, this past year, and it was like the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. And I always stigmatized it so much like, oh, if this person's going to a therapist, like something must be so wrong with them. But in reality, like everybody's everybody like, has stuff going on in their life. So like, why not use a tool like a therapist to better your situation and better your life? And that is so appealing to me because another thing I really like to do is just help people, like help give advice to friends, family, like try to make their lives better. And I think through therapy, like you could really do that. Um, another reason like why I was so interested in therapy was I got really big into Jordan Peterson. Um, he's like one of my favorite authors and psychologists. And he was a clinical therapist for such a long time before kind of becoming more of a public figure. But I just like that whole angle of like, being a, a professor of psychology while doing clinical practice while also like writing your own book and stuff. And yeah, it's, it's a really interesting angle. And then also at the same time, I am so interested in online stuff and startups and tech and like all these different things. So it's like two worlds colliding, but the point that you made that I think is so interesting is like you can optimize your life through both approaches. I think like, so let's say you do the online game. You're able to create a life where you can live anywhere you want. You can work a couple hours a day online, set up systems that are optimized for you and have a real work-life integration or a work-life balance. And that ties in with the psychology. Like 
everything we learn about in terms of motivation and fulfillment and happiness and the things that you need to live a well-fulfilled life, like they could all work together through this online stuff rather than, at least for me, I did an internship last winter in like a very corporate finance job. Um, and my motivation was so low. Like I woke up every day, just hating it, like having to get on the train and just like, it felt like my work was meaningless. And that all ties into psychology. And now that like, I'm pursuing this stuff on my own and like really trying to build my own brand. Like it feels so motivating and fulfilling. So I think it's cool like to tie these two kind of seemingly polar opposite things together. Cause I think, I think it's very valuable. Right. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think the two worlds are more interconnected than I originally thought they were. Like I think to why I'm interested in startups and entrepreneurship and a lot of that is really rooted in my rebelliousness to change things that I don't think are optimized or the best way that they could be operating. And so I have had a similar realization to you when I look at the paths that most people are going into in college and after college, a lot of traditional corporate fields and I have worked more traditional jobs and I've kind of asked myself, is this like the only option? And that's how I discovered like, oh, there's this thing called entrepreneurship where you can build things, you can work for people who are building alternatives to systems, to institutions. And that was a really exciting idea for me because I am like eternally unsatisfied with things. And so I... I see like another way to go about my professional career, my academic career. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't look again, I don't look down on anyone who takes a different route. Like for me, because of the way I'm wired, I'm always trying to think about like, what is the best way to optimize my situation and where's the leverage? And so I see much more leverage in trying to be in entrepreneurship and build startups that can grant me the most freedom later on in life compared to other fields of work. So I think I, it seems like we we've had similar experiences that have like led us to this place in life. Totally. And like the rebellious nature that you were talking about, like I didn't really realize I had that in myself until quite recently until I kind of stopped playing football um, because I, that was my mindset. Like my whole life was just football and like no questions asked. But once I broke out of that that world and that shell, like I started to question everything. And since then, like it has led me down these rabbit holes of like entrepreneurship and alternative paths in life. And, you know, like you said, like not looking down upon people who might be going a more conventional path. Um, it's just I don't think that's for me. And mm -hmm. that's OK. Like realizing that you're different and that's OK. Like I, th I think is so powerful. And another point you hit on that I loved, and we, I could talk about this all day, is leverage and like how you can attain freedom through leverage. And I mean, it really, it really started to set in with me once I started consuming a bunch of like Alex Hormozzi's content and Naval's content. Like Naval's whole philosophy is you can't build wealth without having leverage. And you can only have leverage by owning some type of some part of a right. business or being some type of entrepreneur. And that was like a mindset mindset switch in my head. 
I had an an employee mindset like my whole life. Like I would just go work a corporate job and like get paid nice and save for retirement. But then it's like, why? Like if I want to live a life where I have control over my time on every single day and can choose what I want to work on, like for me, that is so exciting and energizing. And one of my professors yesterday in my class, he was actually giving us career advice. And he was like, he was like, don't just take the conventional path. He's like, choose stuff that energizes you. And this stuff energizes me. So that's why I'm going for it. Right. Completely agree. And another another thing that links back to our different psychologies, and for me, is that I like to question things a lot. I never kind of just believe what someone tells me. And so when I think about where I want to be when I'm older and where I want to be now, it's, okay, thinking about how much time I want to spend with my family. How can I optimize the amount of time I get to spend with my family? How can I optimize how much passion and fulfillment I get from my job? How can I optimize my schedule so that I can do whatever I want whenever I want? And so there's this other path of like being on the hedonic treadmill and continuing to go and go and get the promotion and get onto the next job and keep working hard. But at a certain point, I think, people have to ask themselves like, for what? Like, what is the end goal? Do you really want to work for 40 years and then be freed at 65 or 70? And maybe you do want that and that's completely fine. And I I won't judge anyone for taking an alternative path. But for me, because I'm more stubborn and I'm more like dubious of everything that I'm told, I'm like, okay, I want to be in control of my life at you know, as young of an age as possible. I want to be traveling. I want to be having cool experiences. And so how can I get to that point? I need leverage as Naval, you know, uh, gracefully tells us through his Twitter threads and like short tweets and podcasts and stuff. You need leverage. And so that's kind of where my tinkering mindset comes in. Like, let's start side projects. Let's invest in things um, and see where it goes. Yeah, I love that word you used, uh, dubious. I've never heard somebody use it in that context, but like, it's perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Um, but yeah, that that optimization of your time and your life. And like, I find it interesting how we both seem to think about these things at a relatively young age, like thinking about how much time you want to spend with your theoretical family when like I'm struggling over here to even like go on a date. Like it, it it's just funny um, that we're thinking about these long-term perspectives while we're still like 20, are you 20 or 21 years old? Like 20. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's interesting that you're already thinking about this stuff. Um, A big reason for me, like why I think in the long term so much is looking up to these other people on Twitter, not even just Twitter, these other people just like are public figures or public like intellectuals. Um, So like the guy who I really look up to is Sahil Bloom. Have you heard of him on Twitter? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So like he, he's living the life that like I could only imagine, but he's 31. He's like a beautiful wife. He has a young kid who's like, I think a couple months old and like with wicked to, cool hair as well. Oh dude. I Literally. I watched a bunch of his podcasts and I was like, I have to go get a fresh haircut. Like cause of this guy. I was um, talking about the kid, but yeah, I mean, Sawhill's hair is, is quite Oh, nice. you're talking about the kid. Oh wait. Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> that's awkward. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I'm looking up to this guy and I'm like, I want to be like that in 10 years. Like, this is a guy who wakes up every day, like 
He gets to exercise when he wants to. He gets to write when he wants to. He has access to anybody pretty much on the planet probably to talk to. Like he can have any connection he wants. He has like a very nice family. He's living in a great place. Like I think he's actually in New York. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's optimizing his life the way he's, he's planning the life that he wants to live and he's doing it all on his own terms. And it's so inspiring. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like who are, who are like some of the guys that you really look up to? That's so great. Cause I think about that so frequently. I've even asked myself, I'm like, all right, if there's one person whose life I could have in 15 years, who would it be? And I'm like, could be this person, but no, they're missing this aspect. Could be this person. So at the end of the day, it's like probably a combination of a lot of people. I'd say yes. One person who it's always been really is Tim Ferriss, probably for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's up Tim there for me too. Always experimenting with things. He's always trying to learn. He has the most interesting conversations in the world, probably. He has like freedom to do whatever he wants in his life uh the one thing is that like he doesn't have kids yet I don't know if he's gonna have kids I obviously want kids um I'm not sure if he's married either so there's there's not like one person who fits every single thing that I'm looking for but Tim kind of lives like a professional and personal life that I admire a lot he is very ambitious and very rebellious and also kind of he has that same questioning nature that that I have, like, could things be better? Um, like, what's the best way to live life? Just trying to learn from everyone around him. And I've always been a huge fan of his podcast. So I've looked up to him a lot. And I think he is a really good person. He does a lot of great work with um, like mental health nonprofits with psychedelics research. And it seems like he's really just putting all of his resources back into society and trying to create like a better world than he came into it so he's probably the first the first one that comes to mind but like Sahil's life doesn't look too bad either so there are a lot yeah. of guys and 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 ladies as well who who seem like they're really kind of crushing life um that I look up to totally and I feel like it, it doesn't have to just be one person like you can pull little bits from each person and um, I have like a, I have a whiteboard like sitting right above my desk with like maybe 10 to 12 people that I want to take certain character traits from and Tim Ferriss is up there like learning slash curiosity um, I I've recently started to go down his rabbit holes a bit but I've, I haven't gone too deep um, but I actually have the four hour work week like sitting right here and you're the third person today that I've talked to about Tim Ferriss. So I feel like it's a sign that like, I just need to crack open this book and just like buzz through it. Um, you will demolish, you, you will destroy that book. You will destroy it? that book. It's, I have read it. Uh, I read it twice, actually. It's so, it's so good. It's like the Bible yeah. for anyone who wants to play the entrepreneurship game. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm so like excited. A <laughs> Yeah, no, and I know what you mean by that because that's how I feel by when I reread the Almanac by Naval. I I crack it open like every every couple weeks, just like taking little insights and tidbits. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's literally a philosophy for how to live your life. But um, I kind of wanted to go more into like these people we look up to because I I nerd out over this stuff. Um, for sure, for sure. Is there any other guys who you like who you take inspiration from or girls for that matter too? 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, the other obvious guy for me. There's Tim Ferriss. And then honestly, this guy might might have the number one spot if I'm thinking about it. Ryan Holiday. Yeah, the Daily Stoic, yes. So Ryan is another one of those guys who seems like he has such incredible balance and fulfillment in his life and is just completely living day-to-day life how he would want to live it. Like if you asked him, what does your ideal life look like? I am confident his answer would say what I'm doing right now. You know, he's writing, he's reading a lot. He seems very balanced emotionally. He seems like he has incredible connections with his friends and family. Actually, I was in Austin last winter break, so almost a year ago, and I went to his bookstore because I really wanted to meet him. And I heard that he sometimes hangs around the bookstore. Uh, So I actually went twice. I didn't get to meet him. But Ryan, you know, if you're listening... I, I'm going to be back. We're going to meet at some point because he's probably the goat for me in terms of like life optimization. He seems like he's just living it up. He doesn't really care about like being the richest or the most famous. Um, he is just trying to have the best possible family he can have. And he's trying to distribute the most amount of wisdom into the world through the ancient Stoics, which is a philosophy that I follow and I really appreciate. And I think he gets a lot of fulfillment out of that. So I love, love Ryan. I think he's an unbelievable guy. I just cracked open his book. I'm just going to grab it because I got it in reach. Uh, Discipline is Destiny. Oh, beautiful. It's part of his four book series on the four ancient stoic virtues. So it's been great so far. He's another one of my guys. But what about for you? Who are the, who are the other kind of people that stand out on your whiteboard? Yeah, so I got a bunch, but like I want to go back into Ryan briefly. I just ordered his uh his book, the three hundred like three hundred sixty five like bits of wisdom. I forget exactly what it's called, but it's like, do you read one, like one excerpt per day for a year? Is that the thinking? I think it is. It's uh, okay. like yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but gotcha. It's, like, it's supposed to be like one one little short story per day. Okay. Yeah. So I'm excited to like, probably I'm going to start that on January 1st and then do it like throughout the whole year is my thinking. Um, But I've also gotten pretty big into Ryan holiday. Um, And I found it so interesting how he was an apprentice for Robert green and Robert green is another one of like my favorite authors Um, just from my psych, a psychology standpoint, like that guy is so interesting. Um, But yeah, like it's that whole balance aspect. Like, maybe Ryan Holiday and Tim Ferriss, like maybe they aren't billionaires or like on the Forbes list or something. But if you ask them if they cared, I guarantee you they'd say no, because they're getting to live a life on their own terms and do whatever they want every day. And that's like, that's the ultimate goal for me. Like, I don't even, I don't even care about money. Money is just a means to do what you want. And like, that's why Tim Ferriss, Ryan Holiday, Sahil Bloom, like they all stand out. Um, but you asked about some other guys. So I'll read through a few of them. So I got, this is in order. I got Naval for philosophy and wealth. I'll read the character trait. I have the character trait. Yeah, too. yeah, of course, of course. Uh, so Naval for philosophy and wealth. Sahil for writing and balance. Andrew Huberman for health. Oh, uh, yeah. Jor- Jordan awesome. Peterson. Yeah, I love Huberman. He's like changed my life in such a meaningful He's- way. Yeah. Uh, I got Jordan Peterson for like 
psychology and depth of thought, Alex Hormozzi for consistency, Socrates for curiosity. Socrates. Uh, You're pulling out the old timers as well. Why not? Yeah. That's actually credit to you for putting me on Founders. Um, well, I guess you put me on to not investment advice, which put me on to founders. Mm. Um, but he did an episode on Socrates and like this guy was just, he was, he was uh, obviously a philosopher, but he would just like walk around Greece and just like talk to everybody. He was just so curious. And I think that's such an admirable trait. Um, and that's I got Michael, Michael Jordan for mindset, David Goggins for discipline, Matthew McConaughey for adventure, Tim Ferriss for learning. Marcus Aurelius, Stoic philosophy for self-control, and then Steve Jobs for singularity of focus. So, like those wow. are those are the the guys that I look up to. That's a stacked list you got there. It's a stacked Dude, like, list. There's so much inspiration to pull from all these people. I mean, there's even more that I didn't even have space to write down. But like, why would we not try to take these traits from these people? Yeah, yeah. And I, I love how you say take these traits because there are a lot of those guys who I would be, honestly, I would be really scared to be living their lives, like to live mm-hmm. Steve Jobs' life, to live David Goggins' life. I would be oh, like, yeah. no, like there's right. no way, but there are certain aspects of those, of those people that I think we can incorporate into our own lives to make them better. Uh, and I think that's what it's all about. Like you don't want to be, everyone, everyone is going to end up in a different place. And like, it's, I'm not sure if it's the best mindset to be like, I want to live exactly like this person lives because who knows, like they could be struggling with a lot of things in their life. Like, I guess David Goggins, like would have an interesting take because if I were to say like, he's struggling with a lot of things, he'd be like, fuck yeah, I am like, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, right. um, He would not like, so I've, I guess I have a different perspective on his life than I'm sure he does because he's living it, you know, but I look at him and I'm like, he's a fucking menace. He's a beast. Yes. He's like, when I don't want to work out, like I'll listen to some of his, uh, his Instagram videos and I'll oh, be right same here. out of the gates. But then I'm like, do I really want his life? Like, it seems like he has just devils in his mind being like, you're not good enough. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're soft, all this stuff. Maybe that's what works for him. Like, again, no judgment, but I think I think your approach to that is awesome. I try to incorporate that into my life. Yeah, it's so fun to do that. And like, like you said, like not trying to literally be them. And I used to fall into that trap, like trying to actually become somebody else. And I did that a lot in football. Actually, I was going to ask you this. You're not related to Julian Edelman, are you? No, no, no. I tell people I am sometimes as like a joke. Okay. I think I actually the, the last name might be written different. I have his book over here. It's um, the same same last name. Same is last it? Name. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but like for him in football, like I wasn't trying to like really take character traits from him. I was like trying to be him and it didn't work for me. And like, right. it was a, it was a real learning moment. Like you can only be yourself. I think Naval says it. It's like, keep refining what you do until you're the best in the world at it. And like, you can take inspiration from all these people, but at the end of the day, you got to be yourself. And I've actually done this exercise or like experiment with people in my own life, like friends and family um, to like, because if somebody's in your life, like friends or family and you're close to them, that means like you admire something about them. 
And so it's like, what trait can you take from that person and incorporate into yourself? So like right. I've done the I've done the exercise for like my parents, grandparents, like cousins, and then even like high school friends. Like, what what do I what can I take from these people? What can I learn from these people? So yeah, yeah. I, I think it's inter- I think it's it's a cool way to go about things. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so I guess to wrap things up here, um, like what are your plans going forward over the next two years before we graduate? And then maybe even we can get into like post-graduation thoughts. Definitely. Gosh, that's a lot. I mean, I have three years because I'm a sophomore. So a little, a little right. bit more time on that front. I'm um, jealous. Honestly, it's just keep doing what I'm doing right now, which is I'm trying to build out a business, which is the newsletter uh, about crypto. Maybe that turns into, you know, some some other types of newsletters about other technologies Maybe I double down on crypto if it's still, you know, alive in a year, who knows, and just continue trying to meet cool people, whether that's online, whether that's in person, try to have amazing experiences in college with people, um, try new things. I think that's another thing that I'm trying to balance is like, I love, I love writing the newsletter. I love putting my all into one thing, but I also don't want to take away from the incredible place I'm in right now where I'm surrounding, surrounded by thousands of extremely bright people my age. And I want to find ways to take advantage of that better because there are really smart people that I'm not coming into contact with much because I am in my own circles at this point, which we all are. But I think it's stepping out of those circles sometimes to really create new experiences. Um, and what else am I trying to achieve? There's, there's not like a set thing because I don't want to have like one thing that I put all of my hopes into. Like, let's say, you know, I want to reach 10,000 newsletter subscribers within two years. Like, sure, that's a great goal. But then if I don't hit that, you know, I'll be dissatisfied with where I'm at. So, and I don't think there's anything, I'm kind of going back and forth. Is it good to have specific goals like that? Maybe it is. Um, if you have a certain amount of control over that, but what I can control now is like what I'm putting into the work that I'm doing. And so if I am consistent with the newsletter, if I'm connecting with people, if I'm writing great content, I think it will be able to grow to that point. Um, and so next three years, like, I want to see how big I can get the newsletter. I want to see, can I get it to like 10,000, 20,000 subscribers and really turn it into a fully fledged like media stack where I can be making a living and hiring people and maybe raising money at a certain point and kind of follow a similar path to the morning brew guys with what they built when they graduated from college. But other than that, it's just like continue to learn and figure out what's the best life that can be lived. And, you know, I think that having these conversations is a great way to do that. Yeah. That sounds like such exciting stuff, dude. And I'm a bit jealous that you have three years to figure this out, whereas I only have two. Um, And I'm excited to see like three years from now, like upon graduation, like where you're going to be at, because I know at least for me, like I didn't even think I'd be ever doing anything like this now. And now I'm trying to like make it my thing. So um, I'm super excited. And I think you have a really good perspective about still maintaining that balance while being in college and realizing that there's so many amazing bright people at this school and 
oftentimes I've noticed like I can get a bit locked into my room or something and just like be grinding online. And then I lack that social aspect. Yeah. So I think it is all about balance. And like this conversation is definitely helping me reframe that a bit. So I appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, two years is, is a long time. I mean, you know, what can happen in two years. Like you were, you're playing on like a big 10 football school school team and now you're like living a completely different life so things can change and and you've got a ton of time as well you know I'm excited to see what what you pull out of the hat in the next few years I appreciate it yeah it is pretty wild to think about it that way but uh that's the thing about the online game dude things can change quick so if you're Mm -hmm. not in if you're not in already get in yeah yeah call to action Totally. Well, thank you, Noah. I appreciate it. This was awesome. We'll have to definitely do it again, maybe in person once I actually buy the equipment so we can do it in person. Yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome. The more, because then we're bridging those in real life experiences with the online stuff. And you totally. know, that's, that's ideal. That's optimization right there. That's some human psychology too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Love it. Well, dude, they, I really appreciate you having me on here this was my first podcast so i hope it went like somewhat well um but no you killed it you killed it it was it was fun it was a lot of fun thanks man i appreciate you yeah sounds good see you if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who you think might benefit you can also find me on Twitter for key takeaways from these episodes at Jack Moses Zero. Again, thank you for listening. This has been Jack Moses with the Modern Mentorship Podcast.